started my position uh, about a year ago, and this was the first church that invited me, which was good foreshadowing because your church is very supportive of the camp. Uh, thank you for that. There is people, and you know who you are, who have been very supportive of the camp. And last year, actually, when I first stood up here, I said, who has been to Camp Tlachitic? And the hands went up. And then I said, who's been to camp, period? And the hands went up. And who became a Christian at camp? And the hands went up. And camp is just one of those things. And it's special. And I hope that you've had a chance to feel that in your life, to feel like camp is special or to make it a part of your life, your children's life, your grandchildren's life. Uh, that's my hope for you. Now, my story that I shared with you last year hasn't really changed much. I was working as a pastor for about four or five years, and I had started working for the Gideons. And when I was working for the Gideons, I was doing this big ministry. I was manager of international growth for Latin America, and we're doing all this ministry in, in countries. We're doing 60,000 Bibles in Nicaragua a month for children, like crazy ministry. And I was sitting down a lot wondering, as I was helping all these countries and all these people, and I was thinking about my country and my people and my little communities and the kids that are leaders in Quispam and the kids that are leaders in Sussex, and what, what's my responsibility there? See, as I was doing international ministry and gallivanting all over the world, I was thinking that these are my people too. And as I started thinking about that and praying about it, the camp became um, a very clear course of action for me and where I knew God was bringing me. So I'm going to share some things with you. First, you may have noticed our new logo behind us. So we just, for the first time in a long time, we have a new logo, and we've had several t-shirt logos over the years, but this is going to create a consistent logo across all of our mediums, all of our platforms, and that's going to be great. So we're thankful for that. It looks pretty, and you guys are the first church to see it if you hadn't been on our social media, so you're in uh, fine company. Now, I would like to share some nice stats with you, and then you're going to have to clap again, okay? So I'm just warning you that I'm going to make you clap twice. Last summer at Camp Tlachitic, we had over 400 children come to camp. We had over 100 new children that we had never seen before at our camp. We had 22 kids who became Christians. We gave 100 children, these are kids from our area, their first Bible. And that was thanks to the Gideons. So you think about that, 100 kids going home with their first Bible. And we, we, we asked who had Bibles so that we could make sure that they went home with them. And lastly, almost 100 children received some form of sponsorship, and that is thanks to churches like yours. So thank you, and now you can clap again. Thank you. Thank you, guys. It makes a difference. You know, like, I'm, just to be fully transparent, post-COVID, kids... They spent a lot of time inside, and to go to a camp and to ride in a canoe or to climb or to play games and meet new friends and sing new songs, in a practical way, it's just what kids need, as far as I'm concerned. But then from the other angle, like, they go and hear about Jesus, and for some of them, as we're learning, it's their first time. Now, before I preach, I want to tell you a little story, and I was thinking about all the things I could preach about, and I was actually just talking to Leona before this started, and she said, Mike, I'm not going to be able to hear you today. And I said, it's okay, Leona. People only remember 5% of sermons anyway. And I remember the first time I heard that, 
I went, what? You tell me I preach every week and people don't remember anything? Well, sometimes people remember something. So I'm trying to help you remember something today. And I was thinking of all the things I could preach about. What would it be? What, could, what would stick? I was thinking about camp. And I was thinking about all the moments last summer that stood out to me and the most powerful ones. And the most powerful moment, I think, to me and my with all these kids becoming Christians and handing first Bibles over and watching staff, you know, grow and all these things. I was trying to think about what my favorite moment was. And last year, one of the things that I became very aware of starting at the camp was that we needed to intentionally add some more spiritual moments through the week. Give kids the chance to not just hear the gospel, um, but then process the gospel with their cabin leaders and so on and so forth. One thing that we were doing, which is kind of funny, is we would, do our, we would do our talks, or we would have our camp speakers come in, our camp pastors. They'd share, they'd tell people about Jesus sometimes for the first time, and then our cook, who was really good last year, would go, brownies, and then the kids would run along. So we said we need to give the kids chances to talk and chances to work through their faith. So we started something called Worship at the Lake, which is where on Wednesday night we have a message and we sing just classic worship songs. And it's really low-key. It's not, you know, the jumping around songs. It's more just intimate worship, an acoustic guitar, and a chance for kids to kind of sing and think. And that's where we saw a lot of kids become Christians last year. And at our first one ever, I was really nervous because I was thinking, what if this doesn't work? What if it's awkward? What if it's weird? I know we need it, but what if it doesn't work? And... Uh, the person who was speaking at that worship at the lake was one of our new staff, and he had never preached before. And he said, Micah, can I preach? And I said what I would have, of course say, yes, of course you can preach your first sermon at our first worship of the lake ever. What do you want to preach about? I don't know. Well, let's pick something easy. So I said, let's do Psalms 23. That's got to be a pretty easy one. So for the next three days, he wrote his sermon, preached his sermon, and I could tell that it was powerful when he preached. And that night, kids did become Christians after he spoke. And I watched him look at the fire for about 30 minutes after he preached and know that he was going to be a pastor. And that was the whole reason I came to the camp, was to see young leaders move into better young leaders, see young people learn what God wanted for their life. And in this moment, this boy who was about 15, knew what God wanted for him, and it was very special to watch. So, in his uh, honor, I'm going to preach about Psalms 23 for you, and hopefully you remember 5%. Let's start with uh, a telling of it, and since we're good Baptists and we love heritage, we'll do uh, King James, okay? I did not expect clapping for King James, good, holy moly, did you even know him? Um, okay, here we go. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou, thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell 
in the house of the Lord forever. This is going to be too long of a message today. It's going to be two points. First point, farm talk, okay? Farm talk. We're going to break up Psalms 23 into two pieces because it's in two pieces. There's, it's, there's the first part is about the farm and the second part is about the castle. So we're going to start by talking about the farm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. So who wrote this poem? David. Now why is it interesting that David starts with farm talk? Well, no, he's a shepherd. That's a good answer. That's not a bad, no, that's a good answer. David is the king, the king of Israel, a man after God's own heart. He's a warrior king, a general, a tactician, a genius, a master poet, and the king, and the best one they ever got. And he starts his best poem ever by calling himself, not a shepherd, he calls himself a sheep. Now, why is that interesting? Anybody here know anything about sheep? Somebody, this guy does. What do we know about sheep? They fall over. Oh, they follow. Okay, well, I don't know. I've never seen one fall over, but I've seen they follow. Is true. They do or don't follow. They don't follow. Unless you hurt. Goodness. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Who else knows about sheep? What's that? They're dumb. Anybody else know anything about sheep? They're timid. I'll share some sheep facts. Now, First and foremost, the answer that I was looking for, and I, I'm not a, I promise you that I, I don't hate sheep, okay? Before, before we do this and bond through this moment, I promise you, I have nothing against sheep. But here we go. Sheep, and, sheep are first and foremost not very smart. And that is what answer I was looking for. If you took a sheep and put it in the woods here in Quispamsis, how long would it take before a coyote ate that sheep? Not long. And what would that sheep have to protect itself against that coyote? Would it be its master strategy mind? And would it be its defense mechanisms like a turtle? Or does it, it can't do anything. It can't spray ink or doesn't have big teeth. If you think about it, actually, sheep and cows are probably the two most domesticated animals ever because humans have essentially negated their evolution because we've taken care of them. They didn't need defense mechanisms. They didn't need to be like deer. They didn't need to like grow really good noses. They had a shepherd protect them, right? So what happens when you have someone protect you? You don't develop. And sheep didn't develop to be the smartest animals at the farm. Sheep, here, here's my sheep facts for you today. Number one, sheep need a shepherd. Sheep cannot take care of themselves. 
Like I said, if they go into the woods, no one is there to care for the sheep. They need a shepherd. If it wasn't for shepherds, you could probably make the historical argument that sheep would have died off from predators like other um, animals that do not have defensive mechanisms. Second, sheep do wander off. I was told from a sheep farmer that the best sheep follow their, sh their shepherds, but the ones who are not trained or new, they, don't, they do not always follow their shepherd. But the best do. John 10, 27, Jesus speaking says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Number three, this one's a little bit of, I don't know if you need to write this one down. It's a bit obscure. Sheep cannot handle storms. It's actually a fact that when the rains and storms of life come, they weigh the sheep down and they can't move. I don't know if that one's, maybe I'm stretching that one a little bit. Number four, let's see if you resonate with this one. Most of the time, all sheep want to do is eat and sleep. And finally, good sheep, like I already mentioned, good sheep move with the shepherd. Actually, I, I asked a shepherd about this, and they said, they said, it's interesting. In the story where Jesus has the 99, and the one goes away, it says if they were good sheep, they would have gone with the shepherd to find the one that was lost, no matter what, anyway. And that always stuck up to me. So why is it interesting that David calls himself a sheep? Well, David knows what that means to be a sheep. He knows that it means he's not the smartest. He knows it means he needs a helper. He knows it means he doesn't have direction. He can't protect himself about, against storms of life and the wolves of life and the coyotes of life and the challenges that come. David knows that this is his reality even as the king. A thousand years later, Jesus was still playing off this. He says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not, knows the, who does not know the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I may bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So they will be one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This is the charge that I have received from my father. Here's another text. Now, there's lots of sheep texts, and I only chose a couple. Matthew 9:36. After Jesus has already shared this about himself, he's, he's forecasting his own ability to come back from the dead, and his disciples still don't get it. He's saying, I'm God, and I'm going to lay down my life for my children. He's telling them the whole master plan. And they're not getting it. And they never really got it until the end. Another time, just as he was beginning his passion, as he moved into Jerusalem in Matthew 9, 36, he says what I find to be one of his most revealing statements that he ever said. When Jesus saw the crowds, it says he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. That's what he said. See, as Jesus went into Jerusalem and he looked out 
at his people, the Jews and the Romans, and everybody in between, the people he'd come to save, his, his chosen people, his kids. He looked out at them all, and he goes, they, they look like sheep without shepherds, aimlessly wandering, bumping into each other, can't handle storms in the valley of the shadow of death. They don't know what direction to go. And whether any of those five things resonated with you, the eating or the sleeping or any of the other ones in between, whether you're like me or not, I promise you that there will be and probably have been times where you felt like a sheep, where you thought, I don't know what direction I'm supposed to go. I just need a shepherd if only I had a shepherd. And you know what? It can be the Kingston Peninsula, it can be St. John, it can be Moncton, downtown Toronto, Ukraine. The people of this planet are like sheep without a shepherd right now, and everywhere I go, I see it. It's no different at the camp than in the communities. It's no different than in the prisons, than in the schools. People need a shepherd desperately, and they wander aimlessly confused, just like 2,000 years ago when Jesus saw them just like 3,000 years ago when David was writing this down. David calls himself a sheep. Now, it's at this really kind of hard part in the poem that it takes a really nice turn. David goes from talking about farm talk to talking about king talk, okay? So let's talk about king talk. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. King David is saying, even though I'm like a sheep in all these ways, I'm also like a king. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This would have been the king before a big, before a big battle between rival countries would have happened. The king would have had a large tent set up and would have had a large kind of last meal, a final feast with all his generals, all his most important people, and he would have been safe. Before the battle, his safest night. And he says, you prepare a table in the presence before my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. This is how they named a new king. If you remember Samuel, they poured oil over his head to symbolize a new monarch. He's saying, you pour oil on my head. I am a king. And then he says something cool. He says, my cup runneth over. My cup runneth over. One of my favorite things about the Bible is that we all read it wrong. Because none of, it's a 2,000-year-old book from another place and another language. And a, so we're trying our best to read it all the time. But we usually when we come across a verse like, my cup runs over. My cup runneth over. Like, this is Psalms 23 we're talking about. This is the most famous verses in all the Bible. We've heard this before. My cup runneth over. Now, we would just think that that means, oh, well, we're really, he loves us a whole bunch. Our cup's running over. But that's not what that means. So I'll give you, here's your, this is my hopefully your 5%. So when I was in the Middle East, I learned about a traditional custom that had been in place for thousands of years. It's something they still do. It's a great custom. And it's put in place to, do, to deal with one very specific issue, okay? The issue of people not leaving your house when they're supposed to. 
You ever have that problem? Emily and I, this week, we were talking about this, and she reminded me of a time that uh, there was, you're going to think I'm all a terrible person, let alone a terrible pastor and a bad Christian after I say this, but there was a time that this girl came over to her house and she stayed for eight hours. Anyway, it was too long. And this has been something that's happened to me before, as I've invited people into my house, and they've stayed for too long. <laughs> and you're all laughing at me like, this has never happened to you. And I know it's happened to you. So I've done every little trick in the book. I actually Googled it one night. It was like 11.30 at night, and my friends were over, and I had to preach in the morning, and they wouldn't leave my house. So I Googled ways to get your friends to leave your house. Serious. And I was reading through, and it was like, number one was like, start yawning. And like, two was like, start cleaning up. Anyway, whatever. It's all worked out. So in the Middle East, here's the custom. So when two families or friends or people would come together to visit, you would have a cup and then another cup. And we'll, uh, because we're Baptists, we'll assume it's Kool-Aid in the cups, right? And uh, what happens is, is the guest fills their cup, and then fills, the host fills the guest cup. And as the evening goes on, you drink your Kool-Aid, and when it's time for things to start slowing, the host stops filling the cups. Okay? You get to the bottom of your glass, and you say, okay, time to go home. And it's, a vi- it's, just un- it's an unwritten cultural thing that everybody gets, and it's not weird, and it just works. And when David says, my cup runneth over, what he's saying is, God doesn't just look at me like a sheep. And he doesn't look at me just like a king. He looks at me like the kind of person that he never wants to be apart from. When he looks at me, he's saying, Stay forever. Never leave. Don't ever be away from me. I want to fill your cup up so full that it's overflowing so that you know deep down that I would never want to be apart from you. I want you in my home forever. And that's what the verse says. It says, after it says this, it says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever saying, it doesn't matter if you feel like a sheep, because I think about you like a king. It doesn't matter if you feel like a sheep. I think about you like you're a queen. You are tasked with ruling this planet. You're going to be, we sang about heaven today. You're going to be there with God. That is incredible. And whether we travel through this world aimlessly, or we feel in trouble, or we feel scared, or frightened, or like the wolves and the storms of life are after us. God makes that switch in the middle of Psalms 23 and says, even if you feel like that, here's what I think about you. I think that you're special. I think that you're a king. I think that you're a queen. And I never want you to be apart from me. I never want you to leave me. I always want you to stay. I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to invite the band to come up as I pray. And I just want to thank you. Your church has invited me 
more times. I'm, Brian already has me coming this fall, and um, I'm just so thankful. I've been to your youth group. I've been able to work with the youth here and have so many on staff, and, and the people that are at this church who are supportive of the camp is just very special to me. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. Um, we love you, and we appreciate you, and we wouldn't be able to bring all these kids to, to Jesus and give, those, give them the Bibles if it wasn't for you. So thank you. Um, feel free to talk to me or Brian anytime about the camp and know that I'll be praying for you and uh, I trust you'll be praying for us too. Thank you guys. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we come to you today and we recognize that maybe we don't always feel like royalty. Sometimes we feel alone, distracted. We feel vulnerable. We feel like we don't know what direction to turn. And yet, God, you give us everything we need daily. And we can turn to you when we feel alone. Lord, you are the God that takes normal, broken people and turns them into special tools for your kingdom. You take broken things and you make them beautiful again. You take sheep and you make them into kings and queens. And God, as we uh, go this week into our positions and responsibilities and families and friend groups, Lord, help us carry that knowledge that there are people who are lost like sheep without a shepherd, but Lord, that you are so willing to save them and that you want to change them as well, to change their name as well and destiny as well. Help us be tools of that. Help us be able and willing to execute your good news and your gospel, help us share and help us change these communities for the next generations so that all will know about you. In your name we pray, amen.